Welcome to the Frequency 49 show. I'm Paul MacDonald alongside Deepak Gohill, Brian Davis and Gary Rutledge. Hello, gents. Hello, Paul. Good evening. Well, what felt like the longest season in NFL history has finally come to a close on Sunday for the San Francisco 49ers, but not before they made a last-ditch effort to extend the season, even if it was only by one quarter of football. The Week 17 game against the St. Louis Rams at Levi Stadium was almost irrelevant, except for the side in which 2016 draft picks Trent Balky can get excited over and then throw away like a used head coach. At times, it looked like the 49ers could win. At times, it looked like they could lose. And then there were times when it really looked like they wanted to lose or at least win Kev the Golden Nailing Award. The game was won on a Phil Dawson field goal and before the sweat from Jeff Fisher's handshake had even dried, Jim Tom Sula was out of a job. At least let him get off the field, Jed. And so the 49ers off-season begins. Let's talk about the game first. Wasn't it bland, Deepak? Yeah, bland. But you know what? <laughs> I think it was fun to watch in a morbid sort of way. And yeah, especially that play by Blank Abbott. I thought he was going to get stuffed. And he converted it on third down that set us up. So um, yeah, it was a bit bland, but not without its moments. It's a couple of long runs that were broken through um, from both sides, actually. A couple of big passing plays, but overall, pretty vanilla. There was some ultra-conservative play calling, both in (laughs) regular time and into overtime as well, Brian. Yes. (laughs) I I don't really have much to to add to any discussion about the game, really, because it was pretty much uh, just a a recycled story that we've seen many, many times before. Um, The punt decision at the end of the game was uh, an absolute disgrace. But ultimately, um, they, they did win the game. Um, did cost us three draft pick, draft spots in the uh, in the draft in uh, April or May. But yeah, I, I can't really spend too much time trying to uh, make sense of this game because it was pretty much just like every other game we've seen this season. That point is something that we are going to have to talk about because everything just went wrong in that. It, it kind of felt like the whole situation with uh, the New England Patriots Last was it last week with their overtime decision? Just completely the wrong thing to do. Was there any justification, Gary, in going for a punt in that situation? They were, a, say, a yard inside Phil Dawson's field goal range. Why would you go for a punt in that situation? Yeah, good question. I know Tom Sula in his press conference tried to defend it and say that the wind was in Dawson's face and it was a sort of 50-yarder. And I think Dawson himself came out and said he wasn't overly confident uh, from that distance, especially with the way the wind was blowing. But it did seem, you know, a completely you know, strange decision for a last game of the season where there's nothing really to play for. It wasn't kind of win or go home. You just thought we were hoping they were going to show something and, and you know, surprise us with a little bit of offense in the last game. And we, we didn't really see that. We saw little flashes. The uh, as Deepak you said, the uh, the Blaine Gabbert stuffing um, on third down, and somehow he managed he managed to connect on that. Was that luck, or was it ninety percent luck and ten percent skill? Do you think? I think it was lucky that he didn't get intercepted because um, I think he just wanted to offload that ball more than anything else. It just so happened that he connected. Was it? Um, was it Tory Smith or Bolden? I can't even remember who made. I think it was Bolden that caught the ball, and I think he could have gone either way. You know, when when a play is extend, not really extended per se, but when it's broken to that level, absolutely anything can happen. And uh, I think we got a little bit of luck there. But you know, in the, it, <laughs> this game wasn't going to change anything. But we have had a lot of bad luck on the field, so it was nice that this one went our way. It wasn't returned for a pick six or anything stupid like that. Stats-wise, Gabbert was 28 of 44 for 354 yards. Uh, There was a career-high 70% of those yards after the catch. Uh, Rushing-wise, Harris 16 for 67 yards, Davis 10 for 34 yards, and Gabbert 7 for 7 yards. Um, The longest reception, believe it or not, was Bruce Ellington on a 44-yard pass. I've been ordered again not to pick Bruce Ellington later on in the show. We'll, uh, we'll see about that one. I may have a way around that. Um, immediately after the game, Jim Tom Sula was fired from the position of head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. We heard through the week that his job was safe 
And then it came to midweek Thursday, and all that started to change, didn't it, Brian? What do you think? What do you think preempted that change, or was there a, was there ever any indecisiveness in the front office at all in the first place? I think it went went a bit further back than that. Didn't I? I think it was sometime just before the Lions game that it started coming out of these sort of little leaks and reports that maybe Tom Sula isn't quite safe after all, and that's pretty much. All we'd heard all season, wasn't it? You know, um, Tom Sula's going to come back for a, a second season. He's going to get a shot. He, he had he was dealt a tough hand, and yeah, there was just sort of one or two rumours coming up on Twitter from you know people, respected people that were saying, "Oh, actually, you know, we're, we're now hearing that you know he, he could be gone." Um, I think that Cleveland game um, could have played quite a big part in that because that was just dreadful, wasn't it? That was. To, to lose to a quarterback who's currently out in Vegas partying the <laughs> partying his life away, um, who clearly doesn't care um, about anything other than himself right now, and to, to lose to a quarterback like that, I think that that could that could be the rock bottom moment that we've kind of all been waiting to to see happen, um, and, and maybe that that's given you know the front office a bit of clarity, um, taken away the you know the, the the blinkers or the visors that they've had on maybe and 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 they're looking at, at moving in a different direction and, and i think whatever decision jed now makes could either appease the fan base somewhat or <laughs> if if he follows suit from what he's done in the past other than the jim harbour hire um it would be so typically 49ers if the, if they go about saying oh we're interviewing Sean Payton Mike Shanahan Chip Kelly Mike Holmgren um, all these kind of guys and then they promote Eric Mangini or Tony Sperano that would just be the worst situation possible um, so I pray to God that that doesn't happen um, I really hope that we look externally someone who's got a, a fresh set of eyes someone who's got coordinator experience um, someone who can come in and have some kind of say in the front office uh, and with the personnel. And I think Jed and Trent have probably realised the error of their ways in this Jim Tom Sula hire. They've looked at 2015. It's it's a write-off of a season. They've they've made mistakes. They've hopefully will be learning from those mistakes right now as as we make this podcast. And they'll they'll try their damnedest to get in the best candidate. And I sincerely hope that it's not going to be an internal promotion because I just think that an internal promotion is probably just going to continue to set us back you know it needs to be someone external coming in and and making sort of sweeping changes really I think um, we need to go a step beyond that Brian not only does it have to be an external hire but it has to be a, a hire that's got proven pedigree proven experience proven championship stock a proven team of uh, coaches around him that he can bring in and has an idea of the kind of talent that's required and assess the roster. So they are going to have to hire a super coach and somebody internally is just going to be completely unacceptable on every single level. There's part of me, the conspiracy theory part of me, that thinks that, you know, Tom Sula was safe at the start of the week. And maybe, you know, Jed or Trent's been tipped off that Sean Payton would be interested for the right price. And uh, that's led to their decision. Do you guys think that might be the case at all? No, I don't. I think uh, I think JT's number was, was up quite a while ago. Um Having said that, even on our own Facebook group, I, I sort of expected JT to be back next year. But... I don't know. And again, uh, Gary, this goes back to conspiracy. And I think when JT signed up for this, I think um, he knew that this was going to happen and in the way that it was going to happen. So there was no great surprises on his part. you know. And Jed actually said today in his press conference that they're going to fully compensate him for the two years remaining on his, on his contract without any aggro at all. So that suggests to me that was a gentleman's agreement that was made some time ago. And the 49ers need to move quick as well because they're going to be, there's at least two, three teams in the same position as us right now. By the end of uh, what's now Black Monday, there's probably going to be six, seven, maybe even more teams that are also all in the same position. Um, so the quickness that what 
that they've done this suggests to me that they do have a plan in place and that candidate will be an external one because if they sort of dilly-dallied and, and messed about and dragged their heels for another sort of 24, 48 hours, there's coaches now who are already having interviews today and tomorrow and, and this week. It, the, the 49ers can't afford to drag their heels now. That They need to make a decision and try and get somebody in um, certainly within the ne- next week, 10 days tops, I would say, hopefully, because we, we, we've been in this position before where we dragged our heels and, and we've ended up hiring Mike Singletree and we've ended up hiring um, Jim Tom Sula. I, I truly hope that and believe that they've they've learned from these mistakes of, of the last year and uh, they're going to have to go back to a divisive figure. Um, maybe someone like Sean Payton, who I think, well, I know I certainly did. I wrote him off as his, his chances of coming to the 49ers off and on this podcast recently. But someone like that can come in and I truly believe that that, that Jed and Trent have got to learn that lesson and just let him get on with it. I think the good thing is that all the players, or sorry, all the coaches we've been linked with so far, none of them are still um, fighting out for the Super Bowl. So it's not a case of where we've been in a position before. We've got to wait until you know, the wild card divisional playoffs are done before we can interview people. Yeah. But like Brian says, we do need to move fast because I think Shanahan's already gone down to Miami for an interview. Um, obviously, the Giants' jobs just come up, which people will be interested in, and you know we could see some of these leading candidates uh, go to other big franchises unless we do get some people through the door for it to sit down with Jed and Trent. Yeah, and in terms of the current position of, of the sort of five, six teams, maybe seven teams that are going to be looking for a new coach, the 49ers right now, um, I don't think are going to be too high up that list. They're certainly going to be middle to bottom uh, in terms of, of, of the... Uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? In terms of the... Um, Pecking order? Yeah, yeah, like the pecking order. I think, although from listening to a bit of KMBR and stuff today, it sounds like externally through the league, the 49ers are a bit more um, well-respected and well-thought-of than they are maybe locally in in the Bay Area and with the 49ers fans. Uh, And overseas. Yeah, and overseas, yeah. (laughs) Leaving uh, leaving the coaching situation or the... The, the prospect of new coaches to one side for a minute. I just want to bring up the Jim Harbour tweet <laughs> from yesterday. Um, shortly after Jim Tom Sula was fired, um, Coach Harbour, Coach Jim for UM, tweeted, do not be deceived, you will reap what you sow. Initially, many people thought that was directed at Jed York and Trent Balky, um, in the they caused this problem with the initial firing of Jim Harbour and bringing in Tom Sula. Now the story's coming out that maybe this was actually directed at Jim Tom Sula and that Tom Sula may have been part of the reason that Harbour was fired in the first place. What do you think? That's been a rumour that's been going around for a long time now um, that, yeah. that Tom Sula was uh, there are lots of people out there who, who do believe that Tom Sula was stabbing Harbour in the back the whole time that that he was there and he was basically the guy who was running up the stairs and telling Jed and Trent everything that was going on. I don't know, or I've not spoken to anybody out there who's well enough in the know to say, yes, that's true or that's not true. But that's uh, a lot of what I've been, well, I think a lot of us have all been reading um, through last season, you know, through the, through this whole season that we've uh, just gone through. And that was certainly a massive um, F you to, uh, whoever it was aimed at from Jim Harbour. Um, I think that tweet is complete. It's the curse of the Bambino part too. Um, I honestly do. I think there's a massive jinx on this stadium, on this team, on everything. And, and as soon as I saw that tweet, I thought, damn, that's another curse. Harbour's put a curse on this team. Uh, but going back to what you said, Paul, I don't think it's exclusively aimed towards... Jed, I think as Brian alluded, um, it's aimed at JT as well as the ownership. And uh, it, it sort of makes you wonder why he would do that because he's just had a, a very handsome win for the University of Michigan and these things are doing going well in his world. Why would he want to pick on the kid and take his lunch money from the schoolyard? You know, um, you wonder what his motivation was. And I think this is where the bit about 
JT sort of comes into play, he must have felt really, really bitter about it. And it's really rankled him so much that it's something he never forgot. And for him, this was his one shot to take at JT, and he took it. So whether you think that's right or wrong, um, doesn't matter. But I, I do think that sort of underscores the reason why it wasn't just aimed at Jed York. I think, as you said um, last week, Deepak, I think it's one of those things that you'll find out in 10, 15 years on a 30 30 for 30 documentary, and we're not going to get to the bottom of it, you know, in the next couple of years or couple of months. If you look at Harbour's Twitter account, his his avatar, it initially looked like he's smiling with the Michigan logo next to him. Now you look at it, he's laughing. He's not smiling anymore. He's laughing as he sends that tweet. So there is a, there was definitely a dig in that, whether it was towards Jed York or um, Trent Bolke or Jim Tomsula or all three, who knows. Yeah. We're going to be getting to your questions very, very shortly. There's lots of questions coming, as you can well imagine. Um, before we do, though, um, we need to touch on uh, Jed York's press conference from earlier this evening. Um, we're recording this show about three hours after that press conference. Brian, what did you make of it? Um, I thought he came across well. Um, I don't think the Bay Area media, did, media tested him very well at all. Other than um, Matt Barrows and Brian Murphy, I don't think anyone really challenged him. Although it wasn't intimated, I think this could well be Trent's last chance as the GM. Uh, York kind of evaded the question, and even though he signed a contract through to 2018, um, and Trent is going to be leading the whole coaching staff, uh, or the coaching search, I should say, um, that did seem to me that the deflection of that question and the departure of Tom Sula could mean that maybe this could be Trent's last chance at, at having a really, really solid, good draft and free agency period and and hitting, you know, eight or nine times out of the 12, 13 picks that they get, um, you know, with players who can come in straight away. I thought he acknowledged that he's made mistakes, which is a good start. And he's acknowledged that he's seen and heard the fans' views, which suggests to me that, again, he's he's been on a steep learning curve this season because although he's had his head buried in the sand. Um, he's clearly made this decision based on a number of factors. I'm not saying that the fans uh, forced him to to obviously make that change, but clearly he's taken on a number of different um, voices and uh, shoulders to lean on and to cry on to to get this advice to how to move forward. And it, it sounds to me like they're going to be aggressive in free agents and free agency, um, which again, we're going to have to be because there's so many holes, particularly on the offense right now, that it's they're not going to be able to get all of the, the the people in that they need just in the draft. So they're going to have to go out and get two or three starters straight away in, in free agency. Um, I haven't read the transcript yet, but I'm pretty sure I did hear in part of that um, press conference that he seemed to be happy that he was being or the team were being rewarded for a high draft pick after such a crap season, which I find is a bit of odd mentality because surely you want to win every week and you don't really want to be, it was, it was kind of like the Super Bowl or bust. We're not going to win a Super Bowl. We might as well suck completely <laughs> and pick in the top five. That That's not the, the reality of the NFL. You can't have that. And that seemed to be a, a bit of an odd statement that he was happy to have a high draft pick yet. He wants to win Super Bowl. So, where where are you where are you, where's your mentality of where we're going forward with the team? Um, and it just seemed to me that he's happy to take a bit of a back seat in this search as well. Like I said just now, he, he's passing that responsibility on, onto Trent. This is going to be Trent's team. It's going to be Trent's roster. It's going to be Trent's staff, or Trent and the new head coach's staff. Um, and I think pretty much Jed has intimated he's pretty much just going to be signing checks, which is a good thing. He did. Uh, I can confirm he did actually say about the um, that the the NFL rewards failure. In, in that you get a high draft pick, which, like you, I, I was like, hey, yeah, that's that, not what we want to hear, Jed. That makes me wonder whether the front office, hear me out on this now, this might be completely far-fetched and a massive conspiracy theory. This makes me think whether the front office played some part in calling that punt in the, <laughs> in the fourth quarter, said, no, 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 punt it, punt it, we want the fourth pick in the draft. Deepak, what did you think of the press conference? Could Can we believe 
what Jed says. Was it believable or was it just lip service to satisfy the media that was there and the fans that were watching? Okay, a couple of things. I mean, I, I put it up on our Facebook page. He didn't actually say anything wrong in his press conference, okay? So he seemed to say all the right things. He's apologised to the fans. He's accepted that it's unacceptable. We've had a bad season. He's given some degree of transparency about the hiring process for the next coach, which is going to be all on Balki. And that leads me into the other telling thing about his press conference. There was no Balki, and he skillfully deflected a lot of questions that were aimed at Balki. And I think that's one of the reasons why they preempted this and decided not to have Balki there. Balki is going to be available this afternoon, just to jump in here. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, but, I mean, if Balki was there, I think we would have seen a a different sort of press conference completely but uh, and, and again I think if that's going to be sh um, streamed on KMBR I think, I think we should all try and listen to that at some point but going back to his actual conference the other thing I sort of picked up on was he didn't mention that they were looking for a coach with experience and that was a red flag to me thinking does that mean they're going to look for somebody internal then because yeah. if it is somebody internal then we're going to be having this exact same conversation this time next year. Nothing's going to change. But if we do go for somebody experienced, somebody who's got pedigree, who knows what they're doing, this coach will also have to accept the material fact that he will have no influence in player personnel. That strength is Balki's, and Balki is not going to give that up ever. So we're going to be looking for a head coach who is willing to take a backseat on the player decisions. Balki does that. All this coach will have to do is tell Balky what he needs and Balky will go out and get it. Might not be the player that that coach, is, that coach wants, which is why I'm salivating at the prospect of Sean Payton. I don't think he will actually come because I don't think he'll have any control over, this, over the actual players. He may get a defensive back. He may not get the one he actually wants. Mm. So, yep, Jed has said all the right things. Um, the only thing we can hold into task now is, does he actually, is he actually going to deliver what he said he's going to deliver? Last time he promised us a championship, he didn't deliver on that. This time, for some reason, Balki is still in that building, and I don't understand why. I don't understand why one more year will magically make him a better general manager when he, he hasn't been for the previous umpteen years. So what's changed that's going to make Balki a better GM next season than he was all the years before? So... I'm curious as to why Balky wasn't fired. I, I absolutely think that would have been the fundamentally most correct thing to do was to fire Trent Balky as well as Tom Sula. He did confirm that Balky is going to be staying as general manager, certainly for the foreseeable. Um, now, we know that things can change in an instance in the NFL, but for this moment in time, it looks like uh, Jed York is set on Trent Balky being then there as the GM. He was also asked about the rumours of selling the 49ers, about the York family giving up ownership of the 49ers. And his response to that was, we owned this, the 49ers since before I was born and we own the 49ers after I'm gone, which kind of throws a lot of cold water on the Larry Ellison stories. Um, Gary, what did you make of the, of the press conference? Yeah, I think Jed came off very well. I think he came off very sincere and showed his love for the team. Um, my only, um, I suppose, gripe with it is is that he's, he seems to be talking about instant success. And it's great to hear, you know, we want to win Super Bowls. We need a coach that wants to win Super Bowls or can win Super Bowls. But there was no acknowledgement that, you know, the team isn't where it needs to be. And that kind of goes back to Deepak's point that, you know, Balky's got to take some of that blame on his shoulders because we haven't got a team that's been competitive. I think even at the start of the season, we were only talking about six or seven wins and we weren't a million miles away from that at the end of the day. So I think, you know, even if we'd had a Payton or a Belichick, you know, this season, we wouldn't have got more than eight wins. So I do think Tom Sud has been a scapegoat, but we've talked about that before. Um, but I just hope, you know, Jed does take on board the feedback he's had all season. And, you know, we do, if we have to give up a draft pick or have to give up a big salary, we do. And we make the right choice regardless of personality this time. Yeah, it's interesting that there's, there's draft picks that could come into play for Peyton because I think he's going to have a meeting with New Orleans Tuesday or Wednesday to do, 
um, discuss his future. Uh, initial reports were saying that they could be up to a first round pick to get him away from New Orleans, which if that was the case, I would say absolutely not. I don't think we should be parting with particularly such a high um, draft pick in round one. But I've since been reading today that a second could do it or even a fourth might do it. Um, if it's a fourth round pick, I'd absolutely just just send send it now. You know, let's get it done now. Um, but an interesting thought that I've come up with today, what price would we be happy to pay to get both Peyton and Drew Brees from New Orleans if that was a potential scenario? Or whether we use Kaepernick as some bait to go in the other direction, maybe. If they want a first-round pick for Sean Payton, then forget it. give him that damn first-round pick because I don't have any faith in Balky utilising it for anything other than another bust. Really? Um, you pay a seventh no. overall so give pick it, for, the, for a coach? Sorry, a first-round pick. Yeah, I, I would because the, the trade-off being this, would you trust Balky to have a franchise player drafted using that selection? And the answer is no. He won't be able. To, he, he won't do it. He hasn't done it in donkey's years. If Balky misses with the seventh overall pick, he should absolutely be fired this time next year. Yeah, yeah we know he should have been fired already. Yeah, and I don't have that confidence in Balky to make that pick, which is why I think I'd rather invest that in a in a head coach that's won something, has got a pedigree, has got something about him, he's got some energy, he's got. He knows the system, and he's a Parcells guy, just like Balky is. Uh, I would rather invest that first-round choice in, in acquiring that coach than letting Balky piss it away on a on a punter or something, you know. <laughs> but if, if you do that, you've got to be prepared that you're not going to be competitive the following season either because you give away a first-round pick next year and we haven't got a franchise quarterback you know, we are going to struggle for another yeah. year, no matter who's in charge. So, yeah. you know, Jed's got to be realistic and say, you know, if, we, if we're going to give that for a Peyton, it's going to be, it's a two, three year project, not yeah. instant success. You'd be spending every single penny of that free agency budget on an O-line just to keep whoever the quarterback might be stood upright for the, the stopgap season. Isn't that a good thing for this 49ers squad? Because we need to replace that O-line anyway. We do, but I wouldn't want to be paying, getting rid of... I can't see that Trent Baalke can miss on the seventh overall pick in the NFL draft. I know he's had he a lot of swing and misses, but you know we're potentially talking a, a top-five guy here, depending on... Cleveland's going to probably whiff in front of us. So we've got probably a top-five guy that's going to be coming to us. I like to give Baalke the benefit of the doubt that picking at number seven, he can fulfil a huge need on either the O-line or in the pass rush or... You know, someone who's going to come in and be a, an absolute game changer for us somewhere. I can't believe that he can get it wrong with the seventh overall pick. I'll be as bold enough to say this. I think there's an 80% chance he will screw up the seventh overall pick in the first round of the NFL draft. I actually think he would blow it. Yeah, a lot of the picks he's been messing up have all been at the bottom of round one, where, you know, Mayock and those kind of guys have been saying, oh, this is a round two guy and this is a round three guy. This is, you know, we're talking top five talent now. He can't, he can't screw this up. And I'd be really annoyed if he if he did trade the fir- that first round pick that high for Peyton, especially now when uh, the likes of Ian Rappaport and Schefter are saying a second or a fourth might even get it done. The real talent, the real hidden gems are the ones you find in the late second and sort of early thirds uh, of the round. You know, they're the ones that you find the diamonds in the roughs, the ones that people didn't want to take a punt on thinking, man, maybe this guy's injury prone, it's too short or it's too slow or too this or too that. I think those are the kind of players that eventually become the franchise player. So some of the, the high choices that we've selected, yeah. But I again, I'll, I'll go on record for saying it. Give the Saints whatever the hell they want. This guy's going to bring us a championship or some semblance of order, you know. Some sense of, you know, just getting this thing settled a little bit, you know. Yeah, Balky hasn't got a great history in the second and third round either, though. If you If you look at these recent drafts, that's why I'm thinking we should absolutely keep this top seven pick and get whatever we can in that's going to make a difference. And if we have to get rid of a second or a third or a fourth for Peyton, then let's do that because that's where Balky seems to trip over himself. Yeah, I completely agree. I I think if, um, you know, we do throw away this pick, as I said earlier on, and, you know, we're expecting instant success. We're fools because we're not going to get it. And there's no point, you know, having another two, three years of uh, mediocrity, you know, under a Peyton just to start again and uh, in, in, you know, three years' time and, and try and aim for the Super Bowl again. Now, that said, 
didn't Peyton, when he came to the New Orleans Saints, take them from, I think it was a 3-13 and team, to the NFC Championship in his first season? He took over the season after they got... Um they weren't allowed to play back in um, the Superdome, wasn't it? Because of the uh, hurricane when they, oh, the they were Katrina. playing. Yeah, they were playing in college stadiums, weren't they, for the season before that? And they were absolutely terrible. And he took over that team, and yeah, he really turned them around. It but let's I not think for- he took them to the NFC Championship game. And that's a hell of a turnaround. Hell but let's not turnaround. forget he had Drew Brees, and that's you know something that we're lacking at the moment. True, and, and that's the interesting trait: uh, bringing Brees as well as Peyton together, and. That would give an opportunity then for a drafted quarterback to learn the ropes correctly for a year or two. Yeah, and Peyton's a plate caller as well, isn't he? He's, you know, Peyton is not just a head coach, he's an offensive coordinator as well. So he's a two-for-one guy. As much as we could talk about this for the next hour and a half, two hours, we do need to move on with the rest of the show. Um, so let's get to the listeners' questions. Uh, Kev Nalen first. Kev's going to be joining us shortly, actually, on the show. Kev Nalen, why didn't we sack Jeep Christ at halftime? I think it's a good shout, actually. Why didn't we? Why did we not sack him halfway through the season? Why didn't we sack him? There were a number of occasions we could have got rid of him. Um, that was one of the things I was a bit disappointed about in the press conference, that those guys are still kind of hanging on right now. But I don't think they'll be hanging on much longer once the new head coach comes in and has a look at that staff situation. Unless the new head coach is Mangini. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Kev also asks, does it matter who we get in as head coach? if Balky is still going to screw up on draft picks and free agency hires, which is it kind of ties into what we've been discussing with Sean Payton, but it applies to anybody. Yeah, well, like I said, Balky has to get this draft and this free agency right. Otherwise, he's he's gone. I think inside, although it wasn't intimated today, I think this could be his last shot at it, even though he's got a couple of, couple more years after this season or after next season still on his contract. If he doesn't get it right this year, that's going to be, what, three three bad drafts in four or five years that, that we've got nothing on the field to show for it other than sort of one or two guys. Um, he has to get it right this year. I think we've got to almost draw a line in the sand at some point and say, right, that was 2015. 2015 is gone and forgotten about. Um, it's quite personally I don't know about the rest of you but I'm quite tired of the whole negativity um, it's been a hard season to watch I, I'm tired of watching it um, I've fed up I've got into arguments with people I've lost friends on Facebook about it I just want to start looking towards next year and being positive that's the kind of boat that I'm in right now and um, I don't know about the rest of you about how you're feeling about the team but it's been very very tiring to watch this year and hard work yeah, I agree, and I think, but I think it's you know unlike how we were ten years ago, I think there is light at the end of the tunnel, and we've got the chance now to get a very good head coach. We've got a hell of a lot of money to spend on free agents, and if Balky can get the first round pit right, you know we should be looking at at least being above five hundred next season and kicking on from there. James Little, it was a tough one to watch again, a complete jack on high performance. At times, we lacked the basics of football, like passing forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, on the subject of Gabbert, the plays again where he was throwing short of the line of scrimmage, especially on third downs, was it play calling or was it him showing a lack of confidence? I think it, some of it was play calling, and but there was a couple of plays that were horrendous, which were pitches. And I know that um, Dewan Harris has only been in for a couple of weeks, and I think they were both directed at him. But he just seemed to sort of flick it in his direction and didn't get anywhere near him. And I just think, you know, is that because they haven't had time together on the training field? Or, you know, was it just panicking and trying to get rid of the ball too early? But, you know, it looks a little bit embarrassing to watch. You know, it was thrown like a four-year-old child in, in one of the cases. Um, so, but I do think overall this this uh, this third down is down to, you know, play calling, conservative play calling, and hopefully with a change of uh, offensive coordinator next season, we'll we'll see a much more offensive-minded team. Sorry, did you just compare his immaculate bounce pass to that of a four-year-old? I didn't see Steph Curry cheering from the sidelines for that one. Yeah, that, that, that was a, that was a good tweet by Matt Mayoko last night and said that. Um, he was the only person at Levi's Stadium. No, sorry, he was the second best uh, person at Levi's Stadium who, who um, throws a bounce pass like that. I think that was a third and nine play, wasn't it? He went back and he, well, yeah. he threw it about two yards forward to Harris, and it, it he threw it straight into. It was like it slipped out of his hand almost. It was it just it was 
Uh, but again, it was the same thing over and over again. We've had this conversation week after week after week, and this is why someone like Jeep Chris should have been out the door already. He should have packed his, uh, got a box by his locker and uh, or by his desk, and uh, been on on his. Should have been Christ or Christ on his bike, or Christ on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> David Foster says the fact that Chip Kelly didn't get on well and communicate clearly was a big part of why he got fired in Philadelphia. Surely something like this isn't what we need as a head coach at the 49ers. Well, that doesn't mean he won't get on with Jed York. No, I'm pretty sure Chip Kelly actually fired Tom Gamble in Philadelphia, didn't he? So is he really going to be an option coming into San Francisco? Yeah, there's rumours there's a bit of friction between them still, isn't there? So, yeah. And I think Kelly's trying to sort of be very humble and say, I don't want to be the GM. I just want to come in and coach the team. And sounds a little bit sort of desperate for the job and maybe eating that bit of humble pie. But I think there are better candidates out there. I wouldn't be devastated if we got him, but I think we should be focusing on some of the bigger fish. We've still got that 49ers, you know, history and franchise to trade on and should use it in our favour. Yeah, didn't he do the same when he went into Philadelphia? He went in and just wanted to be the head coach and then within two years, he was the head coach and acting GM or and the GM or something like that and he made some awful decisions I mean he traded for Sam Bradford he traded away LaShawn McCoy he got in um, DeMarco Murray and, and then wasted him you know he was like the fourth choice running back for the last three or four weeks of the season I think I'd rather have Gamble in that front office role um, developing players than Chip Kelly um, coaching my players for the 49ers next season Neil Jepson says, do you think the Medusa that is Jed and Trent is going to turn the whole organisation to stone before they finally relinquish <laughs> control? Um, Are we stone already? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're stone dead last in the NFC West, that's for sure. Um, he also says, would you prefer a homegrown or a Peyton type or the dreaded Chip Kelly that's been banded about of late? And then throws another name in. What about Chuck Pagano? I think we discussed this before, and certainly my view is that he's he's too similar to Tom Sula. He's he's not a strong enough character, and, and he's you know his pedigree isn't that strong. I'd I would rather you know see obviously would rather see Peyton. I think I'd probably even rather see Kelly over Pagano. Yeah, I think like the, the Shanahan and and the Holmgren type figure. I think these are going to be they could be excellent choices. They've got 49ers ties, um, but the way that Shanahan went out in Washington with RG three that gives me a real cause for concern. Maybe someone like that, again, I think I said it in a couple of podcasts ago, someone like a Shanahan or a Holmgren could come in for one season. We know that they should be able to assemble very, very good staffs um, coming in with them to work for them. And then it'll just be a matter of time before maybe someone like a Shanahan or a Holmgren then develops into some kind of front office role and grooms an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator for that natural succession into the next 49ers head coach. Absolutely, they should be, both be considered, but I think both probably on um, a kind of like a short-term deal with that, um, like I say, with that other coordinator to come in and and potentially take the reins from that person after a season or two seasons, maybe, because I don't think either of those are going to have long-term prospects as a head coach in the NFL. Uh, Win Morgan, brand new contributor to the show. Uh, before Balky, the last time a 49ers GM was so widely derided by the fans was Joe Thomas, Uncle Eddie's first general manager hire. What would it take for Jed to actually fire Trent Balky and hire someone who can build a franchise and not only be an OK talent finder, but also someone who puts the performance on the field above his own insecure and egotistical needs? That's a question and a half, Win Morgan. Thanks what? for that. Superb question. Absolutely superb question. What does it take for Jed to fire somebody? Um, well, I think with Bulky, under any other team, he probably would have been fired by now. So why hasn't Jed York fired him, despite the lack of success that we've had on the field? It might be down to personal relationships, because a GM role is really a buffer between the ownership and the coach. So how they get along and the relationship they have is fairly fairly important you know uh gosh but what a question well, what does it take to to get rid of a gm uh, i think it takes a pair of balls to, to get rid of a gm and recognize something's wrong maybe this is uh bulky's last year as our gm i think he should have gone a couple of years earlier but 
I can't answer Wynn's question. It's it's too difficult and too good a question to ask. I, th- I think a lot of it will depend, on, like I said, on the on the draft and free agency. If if his first round draft pick goes out and gets a DUI within uh, you know a month of signing his deal for the 49ers, and his second round draft pick had had known injury problems, and he blows out his knee in training camp, and then a third round draft pick um, does something completely boneheaded as well, and then all of a sudden you're back at where we were essentially now when we're recording this podcast in that situation it, it's got to hit on so many um, different players and so many different positions this season just to get us into a competitive state of a team and a, a competitive franchise again and that's why I truly believe in a lot of ways that he's th- this season is it for Balky I think he, he's got to do it this season if he does it this year then you can justify keeping him on for up to 2018, potentially when his contract runs out. But if he makes a complete hash of this off-season, then he's got to go. Jed York has got to look at it. If if this off-season is another failure, and if next season is a six and ten or seven and nine season, then I think Balk has got to go. We've got to get over that 500 benchmark again next season and be competitive. Because I think in a lot of the games this season, we haven't even been competitive, have we? A lot of the points we've put up have been garbage time points. It, it's it's been a terrible team to watch, and there needs to be a big a big shift in the way we play football and, and the way we do things um, as a franchise and as a team moving forward. All right, guys, it is time for the two minute drill. Are you ready? Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Deepak, will Anthony Davis return to the team? Yes. Simple as he said he was going to. I think he's going to put himself in contention. Working out hard, hopefully. Um, you're welcome addition, welcome back. Yeah. Gary, with as quickly as Tom Sula's firing happened, does Jed York really have a plan? Um, as I said earlier on, the conspiracy theorist in me would like to think so, that he's got someone lined up behind the scenes, but I don't think he has at the moment. But I think if as long as he can move quickly and get some play- some um, coaches interviewed in the next week or so, we could end up with a good coach going forward. Brian, a subject we've kind of touched on, uh, Mike Shanahan as head coach, yes or no? Uh, I refer to my comments of about five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Deepak, which team is poised to run through the postseason? I hate to say it, but Seattle coming good when it counts. Mm. Uh, That'd be one to keep your eyes on. I would actually defer to say Seattle. Gary, are the Packers on the decline? Well, again, conspiracy theorist in me says that maybe they weren't so up for winning yesterday because it means they don't have to play Seattle now. Um, They've got a bit of an easier trip to Washington. So maybe yesterday's result wasn't a true reflection, but obviously the last few weeks, they haven't been in a shadow of the team they have been at the start of the season. So I don't think on the decline. I think Aaron Rodgers has missed Jordy Nelson and some of his other receivers. But, you know, it's it's win win or go home now, so we'll see in the next week or so. Brian, can the Vikings advance past the Seahawks? Ooh, can they? Yes. Will they? Ooh. I think, like Deepak just said, there it's tough to look beyond Seattle at the moment in the NFC. They're, they're, other than the blip against the Rams, they they seem to be surging. <laughs> that is the end of the two-minute drill. Uh, I did have two more questions. Do you want the questions or not? Yeah. Go on, him. Yes. Um, Deepak, are the Steelers okay. going to spoil the Bengals' dreams? Uh, that's a, and again, that's an interdivisional rivalry game thing, Cincinnati and the AFC North. I think, uh, you know, I think Pittsburgh were lucky to get in on account of the Jets choking so miserably. I think Cincinnati are going to tear them. Uh, kills me to say, a uh, good friend to the Steeler fans. This is no time for sentiment. No, I think the Bengals will do them. And Gary, will Alex Smith advance in the playoffs for Kansas City? I really hope so. I think they've got a good chance against Houston. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see them. And obviously, I think they're 10 wins in a row now, aren't they, since they came to London? So, mm. you know, I would I would love to see Alex. Um, I'd love to see him get to a Super Bowl. I don't think he will this year. But, uh, you know, good luck to me. Deserves a bit of luck and a bit of a run. Alex to win the Super Bowl in Santa Clara against the Seahawks whilst Jim Harbour <laughs> watches <laughs> something poetic about that can, we, can um, we make that a one-off golden nailer uh, just for the post 
1 million points. <laughs> we are going to be joined by Kev Nalen shortly to take a look at the, uh, the, the pick six final standings. Before we do, guys, it's time for the hardest part of the show, I think. The good, bad and ugly. We've got to pick a good out of uh, out of what's happened. Well, we've got to come back the to the game now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the last 48 hours. Brian, you first. Pick a good for us. Um, I thought Jimmy Ward looked fantastic at safety. Uh, really impressed with him. And we've now got three or what appears to be three very, very good safeties. So it'd be interesting what kind of defensive concept uh, the hopefully new defensive coordinator next year will come up with and see how we can get all three of them on the field at the same time. Because I think Jimmy Ward looked much better at safety than he's looked at cornerback. And Gary? I'm going to say uh, Dante Johnson blocking that field goal. Um, there's plenty of jokes out there about Johnson's being extended, but I'll steer clear <laughs> and just say uh, excellent play. And Deepak, what about yourself? Real American playing Gabbert, that play where he should have been stuffed in the backfield and made something out of nothing. Loved it. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He meant that. For myself, Trent Brown. Trent Brown, as uh, he's been put out onto the uh, right-hand side, the tackle position on the offensive line. I think he's performing relatively decent out there, a hell of a lot better than Eric Pierce was. And because they've moved Eric Pierce inside to guard, he seems to be more suited to that position, I think. So that's my good. Uh, let's take a look at the bads. Brian? Uh, not seeing Jared Hayne on the field was very disappointing. I thought he... Uh, yeah, came into the game uh, against Detroit and looked pretty good. Uh, I was excited to see him again, have a bit of a two-week interview process um, and, and seeing what he can do. Um, yeah, so to not see him on the field at all was very, very disappointing. So I just hope he's back next season in some capacity and um, we can see him continue to develop with the 49ers. And Gary? I'm going to say Ahmed Brooks. Seems to have a bit of a temper issue still. Um, I think Tom Sula benched him after his face mask penalty. And it's not that long ago that he was throwing his helmet around in Chicago. And he really needs to get that under control because he is costing us when he's not playing. Deepak? The bad. That decision to punt. We could have gone out and won the game in regulation. Doesn't really get much worse than that, does it, boys and girls? Uh, for me, the bad, the play calling. Again, it's been benign, it's been conservative, it's been boring. Third and long, we're throwing under. Absolutely ridiculous. Just no imagination. Even in the last game of the season where anything goes, you know, you you could do anything you wanted. The annexation of Puerto Rico if you wanted to. And they did nothing. Uh, time for the Uglies and Brian. Uh, I was going to say the punt decision as my ugly. So um, I would probably say that the way that Balky and York handled the post-game situation because they let kind of Tom Sula go out and do that press conference and I think we all kind of sat there and watched it and thought oh, you know is it is he, is he gone or is he going or you know what's going to happen and, and they kind of fed him out or put him out there for the sort of the Sharks and I think he knew but he pretty much sort of got through it and I think Balky and York could have maybe handled that completely different and said right this is a situation we're not moving forward. Let's the three of us go out there now as a as, as a sort of team together and get this press conference out of the way now, um, rather than kind of let Jed have the 24 hours to think about what he was going to say and, and put out there, or maybe do a brief one there and then after the game, and then continue to to do what he did uh, this afternoon and having one on his own. Um, so yeah, I think they could have done that a little bit better rather than just sort of sending Tom Sula out there like a wounded duck to, to to face the press and then sort of 90 minutes after finishing that press conference at three o'clock this morning our time he sacked uh, Gary what was your ugly I've already mentioned it but I'm gonna have to say uh, Blaine Gabbert's four-year-old girl pass <laughs> it really 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 doesn't get much more ugly than that and Deepak I think Brian touched upon some of the ugly which was the way the, the final firing of Tom Stuller was conducted there if I was to take it to the field, I think some of our tackling was especially sloppy. Uh, they were making some big ground games that should have been stopped. Um, all over, yeah. um, I've again been banned from picking Bruce Ellington as my ugly, but it's now been extended. I now, according to Brian, can't pick Bruce Ellington, any of his family members, any of his friends, and any of his former or current teammates. 
So, <laughs> I am going to pick the maternity surgeon at Monk's Corner, oh, South Carolina, no. who on August 22nd, 1991, <laughs> delivered a 49ers wide receiver. <laughs> Tune out now, people. Tune out now. <laughs> Paul has devoted his afternoon to researching that fact as well. <laughs> the last two minutes, actually, I don't know what anybody else said. I was looking for that on the internet. <laughs> so, that is our good, our bad and are ugly. It's now time to bring in Kev Nalen. Hello, Kev. Hi, guys. Hey, Kev. And uh, Kev is joining us to wrap up the pick six. Um, it was, of course, the final game of the regular season. Everything was to play for. The golden Nalen was available. Kev, how did it all go? So, so close. <laughs> <laughs> Three minutes and 27 seconds away from... Getting the tie correct and winning the whole. Are you, are you going to get a tattoo that says three dot dot twenty seven? No, oh. I will stop thinking about three twenty seven at some point in the next week or so. We'll be fine. So anyway, the pick six last week was a fairly low scoring affair. Highest score for the week was four, and we had three people get that. So Ben Gowland, James Waters, and the newcomer Conor O'Reilly in his first week. We also had the first two instances of zero scored for the week. As uh, Kim Escard Sorensen and Mark Nowley both managed to get zero. Of the hosts, Paul and Deepak got three this week. Brian and myself got two. Ugh. And Gary fell right out of contention with a single point oh, this week. No. So, overall, this meant that uh, Graham Ross finished up as the winner with 47 points. Tied going into the weekend's games, Jordan McDonald finished on 45. He picked the opposite way on both the uh, NFL, uh, NFC North games and um, finished two points behind. And Andrew Mitchell finished in third place on 44. From the hosts, Paul finished equal fourth with three other people on 43. Gary fell down to eighth with 42. Brian was then on 39, Deepak on 35, and I was on 27. I didn't drop any more places down the league this week, though. Um, overall, it could have been a lot closer if Mark Court and Wynn Morgan had been in from the start of the season. Their average per week would have given them totals right up there between Jordan and Graham. So, moving on to this week, we have um, the playoff games to go through. I see that Deepak and Gary have already posted theirs on the um, wall already. But we'll go through the four playoff games in order. Uh, first game up is the Chiefs at the Texans, which is half nine Saturday night. Uh, Brian? Nice easy pick. Kansas City Chiefs, uh, I don't think Houston are a very good football team at all. I think they were just uh, a very average team who happened to win their division and... Yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer, this one. Kansas City all the way. Deepak? Yeah, I went with the Chiefs. Um, I think I put that on our thread on Facebook. Yeah, I think Casey will win it. I'm still going for the Golden Nailand for Alex Smith to lift the Vince Lombardi trophy at Levi Stadium against Seattle. Okay. Gary? Yeah, I've picked the Chiefs. I'm hoping to make it 11 in a row. And, uh, yeah, good luck to Alex. Paul? Uh, the Chiefs aren't being given a huge chance of winning. 58 against 42 for the Texans. Um, and the game is in the Texans stadium. But I'm going to have to go with the Kansas City Chiefs for the win on this one. Which only leaves one possible outcome for my pick then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've gone for the Texans. Chiefs haven't won a playoff game since the 90s. Texans at home. And... Outside of the Chiefs, Texans are one of the form teams at the minute. So I'm going to go for the Texans. Yeah. Game two, the Steelers at the Bengals. So this is the early hours of Sunday morning. Gary? Um, I think Steelers are slight favourites in this, but I'm going to pick the Bengals. I think there's uh, something poetic about the fact that they could win it without uh, Andy Dalton and lift the curse. So yeah, I'm going to go for the Bengals uh, just really because they're home. Okay, Brian? I really don't want to pick this game on a Monday. If, if we were having this podcast on Friday or Saturday, I'd probably have a better idea of which way I wanted to go. Um, I think a lot of it depends on injury, doesn't it? Is um, is Dalton actually going to play for the Bengals? Is D'Angelo Williams completely out? I haven't seen any injury reports because I've been pretty much burying my head in, with 49ers news all day. But I don't know. Some are, there's something a bit romantic about the Steelers on the road in the playoffs again. 
the Steelers with a last-minute field goal to win it, and McCarron throws an interception as they go for it downfield. Okay, Paul. Yeah, I'm siding more towards the Steelers on this one as well. Didn't AJ McCarron suffer an injury um, at the weekend as well? I'm sure somebody rolled up his leg. Um, they are 12 and four against 10 and six for the Steelers, but I just think Big Ben's going to come through, and uh, the Steelers will win this one. Okay, Deepak. Uh, not to dwell on it because I talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast, but I think the Bengals will win this. Okay, and I've gone for the Steelers. Oh, God, can I change my pick? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not going to be No, I just think that um, Big, ben, Big Ben's previous playoff experience will just about see them through. And they're always capable of scoring points mm. as well as throwing interceptions. Game three, the Seahawks at the Vikings. Deepak. Seahawks at the Vikings, I think. Uh, I think Seattle will win it. They're on a roll. The winning games are getting good at the right time. And don't forget, we beat the Vikings in week one. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think the Seahawks will, will handle them. Okay, Paul. Seattle beat the Vikings more or less a month ago out in Minnesota. The Seahawks are hot right now. They really are. I heard a stat earlier that um, Russell Wilson has the best touchdown to interception ratio of anybody this season. I really don't want to pick the Seahawks, so I'm not going to pick this one. I'm actually going to forego picking this game whatsoever because I can't pick the Vikings and I can't pick the Seahawks. Okay, something different. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brian. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to have to go with Seattle. As much as I would like Minnesota to win this and uh, for Scott Kegley to get himself a, a Super Bowl ring, that would be fantastic. But, um, yeah, I just think Seattle absolutely destroyed Arizona, didn't they? And if they can do that to Arizona in Arizona in the last week of the season, then... There's no reason why they can't go to Minnesota and win. I think it'll be closer than a lot of people think, but I think I think Seattle will, will win, unfortunately. And Gary? Yeah, as Brian says, after Seattle's performance last night in Arizona, they, they are getting hot at exactly the right time, which we all hate, but yeah, I can't see beyond Seattle uh, in uh, Minnesota. Three Seattle votes and abstention, so I'll go for the Vikings, as it fully expected. <laughs> yes, Seahawks went and beat them in their own stadium about five weeks ago. Four weeks since then, the Vikings have improved vastly in all areas of their game. And I just can't just can't do it and pick the Seahawks. I'm allergic to doing that, so Vikings. Game four. Packers at the Redskins. Four. This, I think, is going to be a really good game. The Redskins are one-point favourites. and The game is out at FedEx Field as well. Uh, I think Green Bay did kind of give up on that game this weekend to get the easier tie in facing the Washington Redskins. And I think they are really going to turn it on against the Skins. So Green Bay Packers win for me. OK, Gary. Yeah, I agree with Paul. I think uh, Green Bay are going to stop the rot this year, this year, sorry, this week. And um, yeah, they're going to just edge out the Redskins at FedEx. Deepak. Yeah, I have Green Bay for a win, unlike their last playoff appearance where they, I still believe they intentionally lost to the Seahawks for reasons only known to people in Green Bay. I don't think they'll do that this year. I think they'll be a little bit strong for Washington, uh, certainly in terms of playoff experience. Uh, so I'm going with the Packers. I think they'll win. Brian. Oh, um, again, there's something very romantic about the Green Bay Packers in the playoffs. Um I'm going to go the other way. I think Washington can squeeze this one out. Kirk Cousins looks like a uh, second coming of um, Doug Williams for Washington at the minute. He looks fantastic. Um, Washington uh, are a fun team to watch. They're constantly piling up the points. And that Green Bay Packers O-line, it, it might be worse than our O-line. Um, so I, I'm going to go the other way and pick Washington to win this game. Okay, and... Um... I've gone for the Redskins. Oh no! I think I think <laughs> I think 
Ryan, you're doomed. Oh, yeah, I'm doomed, aren't I? Yeah. I'm concentrating on next. I, I think the Packers <laughs> will get what they deserve after trying to get an easier game deliberately losing the Vikings this week. And that um, Redskins are on a decent enough roll the last few weeks, so I think they can um, get the victory out there. And that is it for the pick six. Um, we have to finish on a, a to try and find the positive. And I've got a little diamond in the cow dung that has been the 49ers this season. Navarro Bowman's nine tackles yesterday gave him 154 in total in his comeback season, which was enough to lead the league. Four ahead of Dequel Jackson, it was also a career high. So well done on uh, on Bowman's achievement there. That is it for this episode of the show. Thanks to our researchers, Kat Serino, Gavin Sutton and Mark Lyon. Thanks to Andrew Mitchell for running the Pick 6. Thanks to AudioNautics.com for the music. The discussions will continue on Twitter at Frequency49 and on Facebook. Search the Frequency49 show. There is so much that we wanted to discuss in this show that we just don't have the time to, but... It all will continue on the uh, on the Facebook group, so make sure you join in those conversations there because we'd love to have your views as well. It's time to say goodbye, boys. Goodbye, boys. Goodbye. goodbye. And just to jump in, a bit of breaking news. I've just flipped Twitter on Trent Bauke. 49ers do not have any in-house head coaching candidates notable in that defensive coordinator Eric Mangini is on the staff. Yay! Woohoo! Interesting. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, nice one to finish uh, the show on there. On behalf of Brian Davis, Deepak Gohill, Gary Rutledge and Kev Nalen, I've been Paul MacDonald, you've been the audience and this has been the Frequency 49 Show. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.